dad, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your neighbor. God, open the eyes of their heart. That could be a prayer you utter in five seconds when you're walking by somebody's cubicle at your office or a room dormer. And so, uh, but we pray because we believe God does something in response to prayer. As a matter of fact, we believe God does something almost exclusively in response to our prayers because he's given us that authority to ask him. And he says, when you ask, he'll do. So that's why we pray. Um, other thing you see, I'm going to highlight, uh, just say thank you. She'll hate when I do this. Kara Kalb has been playing the keyboard the last couple weeks because all of our, uh, if you're a regular here, you know, during the, when the students are here, we have a lot of college students playing and things like that. But when the students aren't here, uh, we, we resort to the old crowd, right? So <laughs> me, not me, not you, me. But, but uh, so we're kind of eclectic in our music. But Kara's been great, and thanks for helping out. And you'll hopefully, hopefully you'll see her up there again. And some of you also may have hidden music talents we don't know about. Maybe you hit the sticks really good in elementary school music, and that might work too. So anyway, thanks, Kara. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, I'll pray, and then we'll look into God's word. God, like I've just said, that we know that you, we believe that when we ask you, you respond. Uh, you actually said, ask anything in my name and I will do it, which is, sounds like a large thing to say. So we're asking, I'm asking, that even as we look in your word today, and in general for every single person here, as we look, as we read the Bible or come across passages, that you would open the eyes of our heart, because we want to understand it not just with our heads, although we know you use our heads and our minds, but we want to understand it at the level of our souls and in our hearts, because we want to see change and transformation uh, happen in our lives. So would you open the eyes of our hearts this morning? Would you open the ears of our hearts this morning as well? And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Hey, opening question. Uh, what would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? And I'm asking you to fill in the blank. Um, you might think about maybe it's a personal issue. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's an issue you're like, you know, I, I just wish that would change in my life. Uh, something about you, your personality, your habits, whatever, something about your situation in life, maybe it's a financial situation, maybe it's a relational situation. Um, you might even put a name in that blank. Maybe there's a person, you just like, I can't seem to, we struggle all the time. Maybe it's your marriage, I, I don't know. But my guess is every one of us has some area in our lives, I mean, I could, I could probably with many of you, I could probably list a number of things that I just wish God would change, heal, bring hope to. Because really what this question does is it kind of starts tapping into parts of our hearts where we hope. Well, I'm, you know, I follow Jesus and I, I really wish God would do this. And I have, some of you may have prayed for things for years and you just don't feel like it's changing. Um, so again, this question, how you might answer this question you actually stopped and exhaled and thought about it would tend to kind of come from a part of your heart where you really are hoping for the kind of transformation and change and power and strength the Bible says we can have. Because if you're like me, you look at your life compared with what Jesus says we can do in terms of joy and peace. And Jesus even says we can, with his power, with his spirit, we can bring hope and healing to other people. So you look at your life and you look on what Jesus says we can be and there's a, there's a gap there. And sometimes we get kind of just cynical and ah, that's just the best it's going to be. But I would say most of you, 
all of us maybe, when you're in a quiet room or a quiet place and you let that hope start eking out, you really do want to see, could I, could I really be that kind of person? Could I have that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of strength to forgive, that kind of generosity, that kind of integrity? I want to be that kind of person. But it's these areas of struggle that we can't, like a hurdle, it's an obstacle, it's a big hurdle on the track or whatever, we can't seem to get past. And what do you do with that, especially when you've asked Jesus to bring hope and healing and change that area? We're going to deal with that question in the context of Palm Sunday. We've been doing a series the last number of, I don't know, weeks, months, whatever, seeing Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, trying to help us uh, see Jesus in a, I'll just say in a fresh way, because we all have perceptions of Jesus, we all have pictures of what Jesus did or did was like, but the reason we study the Bible is because the Bible gives us accurate pictures, and uh, we've been doing through the Gospel of Mark, we're jumping ahead this week and next to go to the today the Palm Sunday account, and then next week the Easter account, and then we'll jump back. Um, but I said before that Mark was written by a man named John Mark, who was a traveling companion of Peter, who would have been an eyewitness to most of these events. So John Mark wrote this probably 30 years or so after Jesus' death um, because all the original eyewitnesses were starting to die off. And some of the Christians, the followers of Jesus, who didn't have the opportunity to see these events, like us, were saying to people like John Mark, can you write down some of these stories? Can you write down what really Jesus was like? Write down what he said. Write down what he did. Write down what his death was like. Write down this. Write down that. So that's where we get the Gospels from, is that John Mark, thought to be that was probably one of the first ones put in writing, we don't know for sure, but he wrote it specifically with the, the Christians in Rome in mind, and then it becomes, for, of course, through history and through the rest of the, how the Holy Spirit works, becomes something we all read. So that's why this was written, it's written to encourage us, written to give us a clear picture of Jesus. Um, today we're going to look at uh, the Palm was called what I'll just call the Palm Sunday passage. I mean, it, it, during that day, it wasn't known as that. It was just another day. Um, Mark chapter 11. And let me give you some of the context. Go to the next slide here. And we'll s- uh, I just call it Jesus enters Jerusalem and the crowd goes wild. I, you know, I'm a sports guy, so I always think about that. Because it is kind of a raucous scene that what happens. So up to this point, kind of like previously on this show, up to this point, uh, over a number of few years, Jesus, like I said before, Jesus was not just roaming the countryside giving poetic readings and serving coffee and tea. He was being disruptive to the religious establishment. Um, he was the frustrated, the, the Pharisees were frustrated with him. They were angered at him. They actually planned to kill him. It's already, they had already had, this was already starting to work because he was so much messing with the status quo of religious power. So Jesus was doing that. He was healing people who had leprosy. He was touching people who had leprosy. Remember the person who touched people who had leprosy? He was, um, he was healing people who had all kinds of different paralyzed. They were paralyzed. They had this issue, that issue. He was confronting demonic activity in the lives of people. In the language of the Bible, he was casting those demons out of people. He was confronting spiritual realities, and we believe that still exists today. But he was doing all this stuff. So he was anything but soft-spoken, um, poetic reading, tea drinking, Gandhi. He wasn't that. This is Jesus who was, uh, we'll just read some of the words I have down. I have a bunch of words to describe him. He was powerful, terrifying, amazing, explosive, fierce, focused, 
confrontational, controversial, supernatural, truthful, blunt, disruptive, courageous enough to say what everyone else knows but won't say, but he was also brilliant, full of truth, full of mercy, and full of love. He was n- unlike any human being that's ever walked the earth, although we, we believe he was also God. But So I want people to get a, the right picture of Jesus. If we were in his entourage over those years, w- I think we'd be shocked at how his personality, and we would fall in love with his personality in that sense. So what's happened over to this point, he's done all that, and just right before this, he had actually raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, lived in a town called Bethany, which is like a small village outside of Jerusalem. Um, Most of Jesus' ministry happened up in the northern part of Israel, which is called the Galilee region. And then the latter part, he comes down to Jerusalem, and it's kind of the beginning of the end, and he knows it. It's the beginning of the beginning, really, because he knows it's going to lead to his crucifixion. Um, So he raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, again, this and he raised a number of people from the dead, in the, in, at least in the Gospel of Mark. Further solidifying the Pharisees' resolve to kill him. So, and of course, this is before you know. Once he heals Lazarus from the dead, you know the Twitter's the tweets go wild. Everybody, oh look, at this, everybody knows about it. Even without Twitter, everybody knew about it. The people in Jerusalem knew about it, and the week, the next week in Jerusalem was the week of Passover which was one of the three big feasts every Jew, if they could, was supposed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So it wasn't only the residents of Jerusalem, it was like any serious or semi-serious Jew was in Jerusalem for this next week, celebrating God's release of the people from Egypt you know, thousands of years before. So there was, there was stuff happening. It was like, it was kind of, not like Mardi Gras in the terms of the debauchery, but it was like energetic, the city was energized, They'd heard about Jesus from all the other things he'd done, plus he just raised a person from the dead. That's where this scene picks up. So there's a lot of energy and information about Jesus out there, and people are excited because not only during a Passover festival, their religious sensitivities are heightened, but they're kind of, what's going on? Who is this guy? All right? So here we go with Mark chapter 11. starts off as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and he will return it soon. So if you're one of these two disciples, you're like, "Uh, okay, okay, next one. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. Again, this, these are real stories, so just kind of imagine, you know, going to town, like, well, there, there's a colt there. I, Jesus said, just grab it, so we'll just grab it, you know. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? It's probably theirs. Well, they said what Jesus had told them to say, which was, tell them the Lord needs it. Hey, the Lord needs it. This Jesus, you probably heard him, he wants it. Okay, yeah. And they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Next one. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others spread leafy branches they had cut in the field. Uh, Palm branches, Palm Sunday. Jesus was in the center of the procession. People all around him were shouting, Hosanna 
Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So that's the scene that unfolds in this day. And I'm going to just ask three questions from this. And the three questions are this. uh, Why the donkey? Why the palm branches? Why Hosanna? What's the meaning about all this? Why is this all important? Uh, We call it Palm Sunday. And there's a donkey involved. And they're shouting something. And there's meaning to this. And it, it will relate to, I think, the question I asked earlier. All right. First question is this. Um. Why palm branches, all right? So there was a religious celebration. Not only Passover was going on, but there were, uh, there were two other feasts during the year. One was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was this, uh, they were from, if you trace it back even to Old Testament, I won't mention all the passages, but there's passages in the Old Testament where palm branches were used as part of a religious celebration. They'd be grabbing and waving them in their right hand. And it was some kind of a celebration remembering the time when God delivered them through the desert on their way to Egypt because they had to build kind of tents and kind of structures and sometimes would use palm branches. If you ever have gone by the Hillel Center, the Jewish Student Center on campus, during the Feast of Tabernacles time of year, which I think think was in the fall, I can't remember when it falls, you'll see a, a little structure in the front lawn of the Hillel Center on 3rd Street and it usually has some kind of branches around it, kind of this uh, portable structure. So to wave palm branches from the religious point of view from the Old Testament, every Jew knew that was a celebration of deliverance. It was God's deliverance. Um, But also in the Roman culture, the palm branches were often used to wave when a victorious army was coming back from a victorious battle. So palm branches represented hope for deliverance, and hope for victory. All right? So think about the question I asked before about what you wish you didn't struggle with anymore because really what's behind that is it's a hope for deliverance. I wish I would, I wish I could, something would change and a hope for victory. I hope I would, I want to have more power in my life in that area. So palm branches were this expression of hope for deliverance and victory. So there was a lot of kind of emotion behind that. It was symbolic, but the symbolism, like a lot of symbolisms in our holidays today, there's meaning behind it, and the meaning behind it had some pretty deep emotion, and it was all surrounded hope, hope for change, hope for deliverance, for victory. Remember, the Romans, uh, Jerusalem had not been political, uh, Israel had not been politically free for over 500 years. They'd been living, all these people grew up in a culture where they knew no political freedom. For the last 90 years, the Romans had been in charge. So anybody at that celebration, all they knew was oppression from the Romans. So they're thinking in their head, not only hope for deliverance and victory interpersonally, but most of them were thinking, he's come to kick out the Romans. We're finally going to be free. We're going to be the kingdom that we had millennium ago when David was king. So there's that kind of hope. So, you know, think about people that were oppressed by the Nazis in World War II or the French or whatever, Belgium, whatever countries, and the kind of hope they had for deliverance and liberation. So that's palm branches, all right? Next question, uh, why the donkey? Um, Why didn't he ride in on a stallion, you know, victorious in battle? So again, these symbols all had meaning. So the donkey in the Old Testament, um, even when Jacob, who was like way back in the line of Jesus, the one of the earlier Jewish leaders, Jewish ancestors, he talked about one of his sons, Judah, and, and riding on a colt, on a donkey. 
so was this in Judah. Jesus was in the line of Judah. So there's this donkey there. And then King David, when his son Solomon was named king, he rode in on the king's mule, on a donkey. And you might think, well, why a donkey, not a horse? If, if a king rode in on a mule, it was a, it was a entering for peace. If he's on a horse, a stallion, it's war. But it's this symbol of he's a king, but it's peace. He's bringing in peace. It's a peacetime king. He's a good ruler. He's, a, you know, th- there's prosperity is going to happen, but it's uh, peace. And then even in uh, Zechariah, an Old Testament passage, nine, uh, chapter 9, um, there's a prophetic passage that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt. So every, every Jewish person knew those passages. So they knew that here, if Jesus is riding on a donkey, and Jesus was the one who called for it, you'll see this donkey in the street, grab it, tell the owners the Lord wants it, we'll give it back to him. So every, every Jewish person knows if this person's riding on a donkey, that person, there's a statement being made. And the statement being made is, I'm the king. And the statement being made is one of authority and power, but being on a donkey, it's also peace. And what's interesting about this is up to this point, if you remember any of the, old, the, the stories of Jesus, he was always telling people, hey, don't, don't tell people I just hit, healed that person. Don't tell people I just raised people from the dead. He was very careful not to give into the popularity kind of contest. And he was, even people would ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the king? He would deflect. Because he, he, he wasn't trying to win the popularity contest. But this time, he's actually saying, bring the colt to me. Bring the donkey to me. I, he's making a statement. And everybody knew he was making a statement. I'm the king. I'm the king. And it was a statement of, authority of power but also peace and humility so you can see already here you have these palm branches these hope for deliverance and victory and then this donkey jesus rides on which is about power and authority and these things kind of meet perfectly you know they're wanting deliverance he's coming in of course most people in the crowd were thinking he is going to be the one who's going to rise up and kick the romans out you know, they're, they're, they're not thinking accurately, and Jesus knew that, but Jesus was still making a pretty powerful statement that I'm the king. Um, now, next to the last one of the symbols is why Hosanna? All right, I, I said before the Hosanna in the Old Testament, the language kind of meant, Lord, save us. It was kind of a cry of desperate, save us. Lord, you know, give us success, save us. It kind of morphed by, thi- by, this kind of, by this time of Jesus into more of a celebration, a victorious cry. Hosanna, yeah, you've, you've done it for us. You're the one. I mean, it's not, un- I was at, uh, wh- whenever it was the Colts won the Super Bowl, when was that with Peyton Manning? Years ago. 2008, thank you, Colts fan. <laughs> what day? January. <laughs> um, I remember driving my son, Mark, up to the celebration in, I don't think Lucas Oil was built then. Was it like the Hoosier Dome? What did they call it then? Anyway, what's that? RCA Dome. Thank you, Colts fan. Um, and I remember it was, you know, so it was packed. The, the RCA Dome was packed. It was the Colts parade because it was winter, so they're not going to have it outside. And 
uh, we got there actually pretty early, but we still had to sit way up high. But you can imagine there's this frenetic energy, and all of a sudden uh, this uh, parade of convertible cars and trucks and other things start coming in some door to go around the field, and all the players are on it. And there's blaring music. It's people screaming. In essence, the people could have been screaming Hosanna because it's a, it's a celebration like, yes, yes, you know, we want, you know, and, and we get kind of maybe overly involved or whatever, but there's something that's going on inside of us because we like, I mean, I, I brought my son there because I wanted to be there too. I mean, you, you kind of feel good about yourself because you're associated with a winner. There's a sociological term that's called virgin, basking in reflected glory. We like to be near winners. We like to be near heroes. And so uh, that was that kind of, yeah. I mean, I stood up. I was cheering, yelling. And then another time, my wife and I had a chance to go. We knew somebody who was playing in the band of Shania Twain, <laughs> country singer. I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily a fan, but the tickets were free. Okay. So the t I think the concert was in like Terre Haute at ISU or something. But there was a point where they had Shania Twain on one of these kind of carry things like an ancient pharaoh would be on four guys carrying it she was on this thing they were carrying her through the crowd and people around her around when she got closer they were going crazy i wasn't i wasn't i was like i'm I, but i the one guy i mean uh, yeah whatever but it was there was it was kind of i mean people wanted to touch her and the guy sitting in front of us i still remember he came back and was telling the person next to him i touched her i'm never washing this hand and this is an adult man, okay? I touched her. But again, the energy, and there were, of course, there was music in the back. It was kind of that Hosanna. It was like, I think you're the one that's going to give me meaning in life. That's why we go to those kind of parades. And I'm, it's, not, it's not wrong, but like I said before, it should give us a picture of uh, something bigger. We know we're meant to get, be given meaning by someone larger than us, way larger than Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, or, or Bernie Sanders, or anybody else. But we often settle for that. We settle for the Peyton Mannings or the whatever. But we're meant to do, and so that, that cry of Hosanna is something everyone's hardwired. We're all hardwired for that. So this Hosanna, this save us, it's, it's, a, celebra it's a celebratory kind of thing. And so, so Hosanna is this sense of there's victory, there's joy, there's peace. It's kind of a wow, hope, I've got hope. This, my life is better now. Then the Colts parade ends, I go home, and life's back like it used to be, right? It doesn't really change your life. I'm sure the guy who touched Shania Twain, I'm sure his life isn't like super-duper today just because he touched her, all right? But what's interesting is, so here you have all this, you know, this hope for change and deliverance, and you've got this king coming in who's self-proclaimed king, victory, power. The people are acknowledging with Hosanna, and all this is spinning in the mix, and in essence, it's the cry of people saying, he's going to change my life. He's going to change our lives. He's going to change all of our lives. He's going to kick the Romans out. We're going to be prosperous again. We're not going to have these issues to deal with. And then five days later, he's dead on a cross. What's up with that? I mean, shouldn't, have gone, shouldn't the curve have gone up and to the left? It's like, Jesus, you, you're finally telling us you're the king, and this kind of raucous celebration, and and then the next, that was on Sunday, 
The next day he goes into the temple and flips tables. He kind of goes bonkers because people are commercializing, connecting with God. So the Pharisees even strengthen their resolve to kill him. It's like, Jesus, you know, I thought you were the king, going to make things better. And now, and then he gets in these arguments with the Pharisees the next few days, like strong, contentious, confrontational arguments, because that's what he did. And then he gets arrested, gets betrayed by a close friend. Again, Judah, Judas, who would have been part of that entourage. He would have been one of the ones probably, for all we know, he could have been holding the donkey. He, could have, he was probably nearby. He was probably cheering on Hosanna with the rest of them. And he betrays Jesus, and then Jesus is crucified, or tortured and crucified. They, all the disciples run away. I mean, if anybody would have stayed, it would have been him. Peter denies him. So here are all these Hosanna people. They were the ones probably the loudest. Probably, I mean, who, who's to say, I'm, 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 I don't know this happened. Who's to say that as Jesus was going by in the cult, Peter may have been going to the crowd, come on, louder, louder, Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, and uh, five days later, I don't know this guy. I never met him. So, back to the question. Go to the next, go to the next slide, Aaron. What would you like? You like you didn't have a struggle anymore with? Here's what I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm thinking with the whole Palm Sunday thing. I'm not wondering. I think this is true. We place on Jesus this incredible, legitimate, accurate hope that He's going to bring deliverance and change and prosperity and victory. My marriage is going to be great. My relationship with my kids is going to be great. I'm not going to struggle with money anymore. I'm going to be a forgiving person. I'm going to be all these things. And then we realize that Jesus doesn't cooperate with our agenda, our timetable. Because what, what tends to happen is, it's like, okay, this is what he is. He's a king. Wow, he's going to do all this. But um, I want it done my way, and I want it now, Jesus. I want the change now, please. And this is what happens when people get disillusioned with political candidates. Well, I thought they're going to bring all this change, and nothing happens. Because we want it now. Jesus is no different. I want it now, Jesus. I want it my way. Jesus, I've got a 10-page plan about how you can bring change in my life. So the same God, the same Jesus, who comes in on a kingly, victorious cult, pronouncing victory and deliverance is available to everybody. He's the same Jesus through God who says, my ways are not your ways. Because if we would have rewritten that week, I'd rewrite it, and of course he wouldn't have died. He would have kind of started pushing the Romans out, and the Pharisees would have been deposed from power, and the average ordinary people would start becoming closer to God, and it's a much cleaner way. It would have kind of saved a lot of blood and gore and mess. The suffering of Jesus somehow tells us that's part of what his kingly reign is like. And somehow the deliverance and victory that we all desire, understandably, legitimately hope for and are promised by Jesus, cannot avoid suffering. Can't avoid, it's going to be the way Jesus wants us to change, not the way we've designed it for it to change. And if you're like me, that frustrates me. I want Jesus to do it my way. I want change like instantaneous. I don't want to have to go through any kind of hardship. Please, no suffering. Just bring change, thank you. Be Santa Claus for me. Be, you know, make Israel great again. Whatever you need to do, Jesus. 
but I, I don't want it to be hard. So, yes, the message of Easter is the power of the resurrection, the power of transformation, the promise fulfilled in your life and my life of joy, of peace, of victory, of deliverance, of becoming the person God designed you to be in all the fullness of the power of God in you. So I never want to stop being hopeful for that. I don't want to fall into cynicism. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I want to be hopeful. But I also have to realize that my ways, says God, are not your ways. So the way he wants, he will, his promise for those things has never changed. Peace, joy, power, transformation. The way to that change is what the message of Palm Sunday, the Passion Week, and Easter are all about. The way to transformation is the way to follow Jesus, which means we may have to go the path. We have to go the path he wants us to go. Yes, there's, I mean, Jesus is not like a killjoy. Yeah, you have to all be pain. You know, it's like a hard, hard-nosed football coach. You got all sweat and blood until you get what you want. No, but Jesus knows exactly. He knows how to change what I need to see changed in my life. And I want the pain-free method. Jesus says, I just want to change you, and pain and suffering may be a part of it. But again, the promise is still there. Joy, victory, deliverance, passion, power, mercy, forgiveness, generosity. That's the promise. So this last slide here, I'll put up here again. I, I, uh, he's the king. And how he wants things done is how we have to be if we are say we're followers of Jesus. The nature of a king is what he wants gets done. And what he says should be obeyed. So if you think through you know, Palm Sunday, and yes, it's a celebration. Yes, we should celebrate about Jesus. But celebration with the cross, the crown with the cross, is one of that kind of paradoxical, we can't figure it out. But the promise is all there still, that the king will always bring deliverance and prosperity and power and hope to your life, my life, your marriage, my marriage, your financial situation, your relational situation, your deep, dark habits that you want to see changed. The king says, he can bring change in those things. But it's going to be the way the king says, not the way you want it to happen. Um, because he is more for your joy than you understand. Jesus is more for your peace than I understand. He's more for your happiness. He's more for your power. He's more. Jesus is way more for that than even you even understand you yourself are. So um, that's my challenge for Easter is, yes, Hosanna. Yes, deliverance, mercy. Um, but he's the king. And so his way is the way we have to go. So let's pray, and then we'll take communion. Jesus, you are, uh, you're a great king. And you are the only king, and you're the king. And even in saying that to you, Jesus, I'm not trying to be redundant. You know that. You know you're the king. But we, like I've said before, Jesus, we want to be kingdom citizens in the most strong, powerful, obedient way. Because we want, we believe you when you say you came to give us abundant joy. We believe you when you said you came to give us a peace that the circumstances of our world cannot even take away from us in any form. We believe you when you said that we can, through your spirit in us, bring hope and healing to the bodies and souls of other people we know, our families, friends, and neighbors, people at the Rise. We believe you. Um, but we also acknowledge that the king and your way of the cross is part of 
what you're trying to help us understand. So we will follow you wherever you lead us, and, uh, and we will shout Hosanna uh, louder and louder. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We uh, finish every Sunday with communion at Exodus, and we, um, we do that because, again, it's music's not the show, the sermon's not the show, Jesus is the center of what we do here. So when he served this, when he s- brought this to the disciples the night he was betrayed, that would have been Thursday night, four days later after Palm Sunday, um, they were celebrating the Passover because it was Passover week, but he kind of put a new twist on it when he served them the bread and the cup, he said, no, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. The disciples had no idea what was going on. They still didn't know. I mean, we have the advantage of seeing backwards. They were doing their best to ke- keep up with him. But he said, this is my body, this is my blood broken and shed for you. Every time you eat this or drink this, remember me. Remember what I said I could do in your lives. Remember the promises I had for peace and power and victory. Remember that my way is not the way of power and control. My way is the way of servant and suffering, but there will be transformation. So here's how we do it at Exodus. Anybody's welcome. You don't have to be a member here, or, uh, but we, you, we do ask that if you're, you be a follower of Jesus, and there's nothing in your life where you're giving Jesus a straight arm, where you're intentionally not doing what you know he's told you to do. Um, so, But we don't check his up or down, so... Happy to talk to you about any of those issues, but we don't check his up or down, so don't be fearful about that. Uh, soon we'll start singing a few more songs. Um, soon as we start singing, some they'll be filled here at the front, serving, offering the bread, and you tear off a piece on your own. They'll offer you the cup, just dip it in the cup. Um, most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to the seat. It's your decision as to where you do that. But um, even as you uh, take this in, perhaps even in your in the ears of your heart, you're hearing yourself say to Jesus, Hosanna, save me, bring victory, bring deliverance in your way, Jesus. Right? Um, Jesus, we're grateful. Jesus, we are grateful that you did this for us. And you did what the Bible says. You opened up a new and living way for us as human beings to live because we now we live connected to the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus, because of what you did, that you opened up that door for us. We now have direct access to the very voice of God into our very ordinary lives that can be extraordinary when we listen to you. So Jesus, we're grateful, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.